Isn't that like the most awkward transition ever? Like you go from singing fresh wind about the Holy Spirit, and then it's like Mr. Rogers, okay? And if you think that's weird, uh, uh, all the teaching pastors, we were talking this past week about, you know, hey, how did the start of the series go, all stuff? Can we? So we're kind of giving reports. And Will, our campus pastor at our Anderson campus, which is, you know, 95% college students, were like, it was the most awkward thing ever. Could you imagine, like, you have no clue who Mr. Rogers or Mr. Rogers' neighborhood is, and it's kind of like, what is going on? I would love to be a, a fly on the wall. And if you don't know who he is, um, Google it, YouTube it, whatever, okay, your life will be radically changed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, anyway, we are in the middle of this series. We started last week, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And really, this heartbeat uh, of this series is how do you and I, as believers, engage with the world around us, whether it's across the street or around the world, different faiths, backgrounds, scenarios, how can God use us and our sphere of influence to really point people to Jesus. And so we just talked, um, we spent three weeks on this one series, this one initiative talking about, hey, who's that one person you know needs Jesus? So that's kind of the what, and this series is kind of the how and the why about that. And now, in three weeks, we're not going to answer every single question, but ultimately the challenge for you and to me is to really be obedient in, in what God is calling us to do as we reach people that we come in contact with. Because whether you like it or not, you and I are missionaries. Now, often when we think of being a missionary, we often think of somebody who sells everything that they have, moves to a remote village in in Africa, learns a different language, gets paid nothing, and poops in a hole in a village, you know, by a tree. And we're like, those are the missionaries. That's right, I said it, okay? I'm two for two. I said it the first service too, all right? But here's the deal is that we kind of put in our minds, okay, those are the missionaries. Those are like the real dedicated people that proclaim Jesus. And if we're really transparent, it kind of gives us a pass in some ways. Oh, we'll let them do it, and I'll just kind of be over here, right? And I always did this. It's like my ultimate Jesus juke when people are like, well, why don't we go overseas to tell people about Jesus when people need Jesus in our backyard? I'm like, that's a great point what do you do about it? They're like, oh, well, I, I, I just don't, I, I don't know. I'm like, exactly. Jesus juke that, okay? Because at the same time, you and I are missionaries. If you are a follower of Jesus, it is your responsibility to, just, to not just live out the gospel by your conduct and how you live your life, but it's your responsibility and really an opportunity to share the gospel that we have every single day. Think about this. You're here, you're breathing, you're alive. Every day when you and I wake up and we put our two feet on the ground from the bed, even though it it might pop a little bit and hurt a little bit as we get older, we have an opportunity to share Jesus with the people around us. God has given you breath that day. And as a believer, we can't just say, oh, another day of work. Man, I just want this day to be over. It should be, man, today I get to share Jesus. That means with the people that you're on the phone with at work, the patients that you see in your medical office, the customers that you need to call, the students that you teach, the co-workers that are in the cubicle next to you, anybody and everybody in between, whether you see them every day, you see them once a month, whatever the case may be, you have a unique opportunity that only you have to share Jesus with them. 
That's a great responsibility, but it's a great opportunity. Unfortunately, what we often do as Christians is squander that opportunity, whether it's fear, whether it's laziness, whether it is, I just don't know what to say, and uncertainty, whatever the case may be, it could be several different things. But for me, two of the biggest downfalls, and it's going to seem like I'm being judgmental, but just get, bear with me on this. Two of the biggest downfalls while we don't share Jesus with other people is one, Christians tend to isolate themselves from unbelievers. And so as a result, the gospel is isolated to unbelievers. So we put ourselves in a Christian bubble, right? And I'm not trying to sound legalistic or judgmental. And however you see this fit in your life, I, I'm totally, I, I get it, okay? We just have to draw a fine line because what often happens in our lives as Christians is we want the people, and rightfully so, that influence us the most, that influence our kids the most, we want those people to be good quality Christians. And so what can happen over time is that we surround ourselves with all Christians, and then when it comes time, like, hey, who are you sharing Jesus with? The answer is, everybody I know is a Christian. That's a dangerous place to be. I get it. I'm a father. I want my kids to have, be influenced by Christian men and women and other students their age and all those different things. But we have to be practical, and it goes back to what we talked about and where we ended last week. Who, how are people going to become saved and receive salvation and believe and have faith in, in God if no one shares with them. And so there's this balance that ultimately what ends up happening in the Christian's life is we isolate ourselves from those people and therefore we isolate the gospel. We are infamous as Christians. We don't celebrate Halloween. We do trunk or treat, you know. We're not going to do the whole Christmas thing in Santa, so we're, we just do Jesus. And I get some of those. I get if that's your conviction, I'm not judge, judging you. I'm just saying be careful not to wrap yourself in a bubble, and before you know it, you don't know any believers. We need to know believers. We need to know people in our sphere of influence that we can reach out to and say, hey, that person needs Jesus. Now, the second downfall, not only do we isolate ourselves, and this goes hand in hand, oftentimes we treat people who don't know Jesus as enemies. And we do what I would call the Heisman complex. You know, okay, how many of y'all like college football? All right. Yeah, great win for South Carolina yesterday against Auburn. That's pretty big. You know, Clemson, you want a big one against Wake Forest. They finally decided to play football yesterday. That was good. Tennessee beat South Alabama. Can we get amen for that? Cool. You don't like South Alabama? That's cool. Um, no, just kidding. You know, but in college football, at the end of the year, the best athlete gets the Heisman Trophy. Now, if you've seen the trophy, right, it's this dude right here, stiff arming. Now, every great football player or sports enthusiast knows what the stiff arm is. Man, you see these huge running backs, especially, that are running down the sideline. Someone comes and they just stiff arm them, and it is like, not in my house, buddy. You know, to shove them to the ground with one hand, just beast mode them. Now, think about this. We do this with people who are not believers. We'll say, hey, I don't really like that. Boom, stiff arm. Get not in my house. You know, oh, you're going to kind of talk that way. Boom, I don't need you in my life. Hey, you're going to vote that way? Ha ha, ha, stiff arm. And so what we do is we end up stiff arming all these people that don't believe like us, look like us, have the same faith like us. And before too long, everybody around us, we just pushed away. And now we're homogeneous and just look at each other and we're like, hey, we're all Christians. We're all, we're all this. We all go to the same church, whatever. Man, that's a dangerous place to be. 
So if we're going to be a good neighbor, if we're going to share Jesus, man, we need to be willing to not push people away, not isolate ourselves from the world, but actually kind of lean in that. Because if those things happen, what ends up happening is our influence for Jesus is minimized. And I know that you don't want that, and I don't want that, to get the end of our lives and be like, I didn't really do anything for Jesus. And so how do we do that? How do we go against the norm, against what's our world and even our flesh says, and how do we reach and walk across the street and talk to people who don't believe like us, look like us, and share Jesus with them? I think one of the things that we need to know before we get into Scripture, kind of an umbrella, is that the best way to invite someone into God's story is to invest into their story. So often we look at people who don't know Jesus as projects. And it's almost like, I know you're not like physically doing this, or at least I hope not. It'd be like, oh, they're out in the yard. They really need Jesus. Let's go over there and get your Bible, get your Bible, get your Bible, you know? And you go over there like, hey, can I read Romans 3 for you? <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, that just got weird real quick. All right? We can't look at them as projects. We have to look at them as people. And you and I both know the people that God has placed in our lives have needs, hopes, they're angry, they're hopeless, they don't know which way to turn, they're going through something. And the best way to invite them into the grace of God, into his forgiveness, and right where they are, is to start to invest in their story. Do you know their story? Do you know their name? Do you know what's going on? I, I know I've been guilty of being like, oh my gosh, well that neighbor, please cut the grass. It looks horrible. But what if that neighbor who didn't cut the grass, you just found out that her husband left her after 25 years and she's trying to single mom, whatever, and she just doesn't have time to cut the grass. Changes your perspective on things, doesn't it? You're no longer complaining, oh, I wish you'd cut her grass. Now it's like, man, I feel like a jerk. Maybe I should go over there and help her with her grass. And that comes when we invest into people's stories instead of having all these preconceived notions. And we live in a world, oh my goodness. I mean, you just take one little small news headline and we blow it out of proportion and come to all kinds of scenarios, right, of what happens without even knowing the story. And we do that in people's lives. And if we want to invite them into God's story, lean in, and invest into their story. Hey, what's your name? Hey, how'd you grow up? Did you grow up around here? You know, most of us, we know people at, at pretty shallow and from a distance. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I know their name. I don't even know their last name. I don't know how many kids they have. I don't know what their religious background is. They grow up in church. Were they burned by the church? You know, what, what the case may be. And when we find those things out, it not only changes our heart and mind, it changes how we pray for them and then our conversation with them of how we can lead them to Jesus. So we need to invest in there. So be thinking, how are you investing in people's lives? Kind of play up the neighboring thing. Oftentimes when we move into a neighborhood, I know we are like this. We have a dog, so we need a fence. But a lot of times we build fences because we need what? Privacy, right? You need privacy. You, you don't want people coming in. You, you kind of like to, you know, sit out in your backyard without everybody looking at you. Um, 
Maybe you keep your blinds shut all the time. You don't want people looking in your, in your business, you know, for whatever reason. Maybe you have like one of those Christmas lamps and you just don't want people to judge you with a leg, you know, type thing. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Christmas story, that's coming up. Is that too early? I don't know. But you know what I'm talking about. You don't want people looking in in your, in your business. And then you might be the neighbor that's like, hey, get off my grass. Oh, that person's in my yard or whatever. And so we set up all of these boundaries of fences and walls and our blinds closed and we don't invite people into our story. And so if we don't invite them into our story, we're definitely not going to invest into their story. And so everything is just, there's just a chasm there. And being a good neighbor says, hey, we're going to break down those walls. And they might not want them to be broken, but I'm going to put my best foot forward. And I'm going to start to invest into what God is doing here. And what we're going to look at this morning is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So it'll be on the screens. If you brought your um, Bibles um, you could turn in uh, or tur- turn there, uh, chapter 2. And this is a great, a great moment because the Apostle Paul, if you don't know a lot about him, he was this Christian killer and uh, radically changed his life through G- meeting Jesus on this road where he was going to kill some Christians. Jesus changed his life, became one of the greatest missionaries, and begins to build and plant churches. And he's going to all these places, and you have to think about this. Man, People didn't really know about Jesus. Word didn't spread. There wasn't social media and TikTok and all this other stuff. You know, the early apostles weren't tweeting about Jesus and the whole world hear about it. It was new. And the whole premise of church was new. The apostles were just starting to gather. They're, they're studying. They're breaking bread together, doing communion. And the church is growing. But it's not growing like what we know as, as growth or even church of buildings and stuff. It was really communities of believers. And so Paul is journeying to these communities, and he's sharing the gospel. And what he writes to this letter to this church of Thessalonica is really some encouraging words, kind of pulling back the veil, if you will, of, okay, what, what is the secret or how do you share Jesus with people? And he kind of lets light on what is going on in his ministry as he's sharing this. So let's read this together, and we'll pull some application out of it. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we'll go to verse 12. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. We had purpose. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God, in the midst of much conflict. So what Paul's talking about, he was in another city, Philippi. They didn't want to hear it. There was a lot of conflict. He's like, we just trusted God. Hey, in the midst of conflict, we're just going to share Jesus. We're going to talk about the gospel. But it was not well received. And so we're coming over here for a little bit. And he's like, so that's what we're doing. He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, it's our responsibility. So we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery. As you know, we didn't come trying to be fancy with our language or anything, trying to share the gospel with all this this, um, fancy flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether, uh, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, 
like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, get this, not only just the gospel of God were we going to share with you, but also our own selves. Why? Because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So if you're taking notes this morning, one of the application points that we can pull from this is that if we're going to share Jesus, and what Paul really, really hits is that we have to have gospel conversations. If we're going to share Jesus, we have to have gospel conversation. Paul says it several different times that, hey, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of our God. Then he talks about later that, hey, we're coming ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but to, sh- to also share our own selves. And the gospel of God, he's using words in these conversations as he's interacting with people that he encounters at whatever city it is, he's going to talk about Jesus. Now, we have a lot of great people at all of our campuses, but none of us are that great to walk into a room, to stand there, and people say, man, I need Jesus right now. Dustin just stepped into this room, and I need to ask God for the forgiveness of my sins. Okay, let's, okay, let's step in another way. Say you are the greatest person at your job, and people know you, and people would say, man, they're so generous, they're encouraging, they're always happy, they always are love people well, they're so quick to forgive, they're full of grace, all those things. And that person walks into the room at work, still then, people aren't going to say, you know what, I need Jesus right now. I, I have sin in my life, and it's separating me from God, and I know I would spend eternity in hell just because you or I walk into a room. We have to talk about it. It usually starts with, hey, you're always happy, man. I, today's miserable. Why are you so happy? Man, you know, I don't know all the time. I mean, I have my moments, but I just trust God in this. You trust God? Yeah, you don't trust God? And then it starts. It's a gospel conversation. You have to be willing to have those conversations with people. You have to be able to say, Paul didn't just show up in a city and, and just start meeting people, and they're like, you're, so, you're such a nice guy, Paul, man. I need Jesus. No, he told them about Jesus. He told them, this is who Jesus is. This is why Jesus came. This is how you can have salvation. This is how you can spend eternity in heaven. He had to have those conversations. Now, you probably have heard this quote, and I get the premise and the heart behind this quote um, by, it's St. Francis of Assisi, and he was a Italian Catholic um, friar, okay, back in the day. And he, he's kind of coined this phrase. It says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Have you heard that? Now, I get the premise of that, that our lives should mimic what we preach. But if you think about it, it's actually wrong because we, words are necessary. We have to have conversations. And for us, if we really love our neighbors, 
We have to share with them the gospel. Now, here's my disclaimer on this. Don't be weird about it, okay? I mean, how many weird Christians do you know? Exactly, okay? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand. You know, Christians can be weird. Don't be weird about it. Don't, don't try to force something that's not there and try to be over-the-top pretentious and holier than thou. And I know, I get it. It's weird. It, it, it can seem awkward at times. But we, we have to fight the natural tendency to kind of flee in those times. And I think what's actually hurt Christianity and the church is that I'm not saying anything necessarily bad about them. I get the premise of it. But in a lot of ways, we're scared to have those conversations. So as a result, you know what has happened in the church for a long time is we formed those little tracks. You know what I'm talking about? Those little, little booklets that tell you how to believe in Jesus. They have some great quotes. For the most part, many of them have great content. Don't get me wrong. And they have their place. And they can plant a seed for sure. But oftentimes, because out of fear, we revert and we kind of just kind of skirt around having those conversations. So what we do is, hey, our waiter, our waitress, we're at a restaurant. We're like, man, that was great service. They really need Jesus. Let me leave one of these books. They'll come to know Jesus, you know. We're not going to talk about it or whatever. And I'm going to tell you, when I was a waiter, like in college back in the day, most of the time, those came with a horrible tip. And so I just wanted to burn it. <laughs> I'm like, that's horrible. Now, it's one thing, you want to tip well and you want to leave that. I'm not saying that it's not effective. I'm not saying that people don't read it. But that's kind of skirting around actually having a conversation. Guys, I can't speak for the women. You'll see why. But guys, I've been in men's bathrooms, and there's been the, they've had those like on the urinals. So I'm thinking, first of all, I don't want to touch that, <laughs> okay? And two, like, I, while I'm using the restroom, I'm not like, you know what? I really need Jesus. That looks like a great idea right now, you know? Like, have conversations with people, but don't be weird about it. Don't be weird. In your sphere of influence, God has placed people in your life that it can start by like, hey, how's your day going? Hey, what'd you do this weekend? You know, I went to church. You go to church anywhere? Or, hey, you know, hey, can I at least pray for you? That sounds like a really hard time. But, hey, thanks. And maybe that's just a, just a little seed. And, we, and I think we often forget as believers, it is our responsibility to be faithful in sharing and planting those seeds. It's God's responsibility to turn the heart and transform the life. So we can't look at people's lives and be like, this is my little project, and oh my gosh, I've shared five times, they haven't come to know Jesus. Man, just be faithful in sharing. Don't be weird about it. Just go and say, hey, I'm going to use words and have these conversations. And, and I will say this, this is what's so interesting, is the early church, it wasn't as simple as, hey, hey, you should come to church with me. We, we meet at 1110 on Sundays. Really what Paul was doing was going into places without any church, sharing the gospel and saying, hey, I just want you to know your neighbor over here, they came to know Jesus too. Y'all should meet. Y'all should connect. Y'all should have conversation together. And then really the church is a body of believers. It's not a building. So then those believers would talk and say, you know what, we didn't tell our neighbor about this. And that's how the church grew. And so think about that. We need to be having those conversations with people. And that's what Paul is saying to proclaim. The gospel is a proclamation. It's not something for us to keep to ourselves. And so we need to have those gospel conversations. Secondly, we see that in order for us to really share our lives and invest into people with credibility, we have to live with godly conduct. 
Now, Paul says this a couple different times. But, you know, he's talking about, one, he's sharing without flattery. He's not trying to trick anybody. It's not smoke and mirrors. Hey, if you come to church, I'll do this for you or anything like that. But more importantly, he says that um, you're my witnesses. This is verse 10. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you. Now, think about this. I I really do believe this. This is my opinion. Many, many people in our world don't believe in Jesus. They don't attend church, whatever, fill in the blank, because Christians don't act like Christians. They claim it with their mouths, but they live a totally different life. When it comes to everyday life, they say one thing and they act um, another way. Now, think about this. Just put this in perspective, okay? This is just how my mind thinks. That is like hiring a fat personal trainer. Think about that. If I'm going to hire a personal trainer, I want someone who is jacked, looks good, knows what they're talking about, right? That they they got muscles, they're, they're fit, all those different things. And so when they're telling me, hey, do these exercises and eat this and take these vitamins or whatever, I'm like, he knows what he's talking about. She knows what she's talking about. Look at her. Look at them. They're fit. Now, if a 450-pound man comes to me and says, hey, you should really cut out carbs due to really help with your six-pack. Do you think I'm listening to that? Now, I still love that person, but I'm like, um, I don't know. Now, think about this. Now, I know it sounds stupid, and you're like, wow, you're, you're like cutting us in the jugular. But think about that. If you say one thing and you live another, you lose all credibility for the gospel. It's hard for people to believe you when you're like, man, God radically changed my life. He's everything to me. Shut up, kids, you know, and you're like cussing out your kids, like, you know, and whatever. Fill in the blank. If your life doesn't match up, man, there's, there's just a, a disconnect. And you know this. Non-believers are looking for every reason to not believe. Even when they kind of give a foot, maybe they're like, you know what, I'll go, I'll go to Christmas Eve service with my family. And they come, I'm just telling you, from a pastor's standpoint, it's like the church talks about sin. They talk about wanting your money all the time. And like, even if I get up there and be like, hey, we're so thankful for your generosity. They're like, hop, see, told you that all I do is want your money. I'm out of here. You know, they're watching. And I know we're not going to be perfect, but we need to strive to live godly with godly conduct according to scripture, to be patient, to be kind, to, to live this way. You share the gospel with your mouth but you show it with your life. You show it with your life. And the third point in closing is that we care for people far from God. Man, you want to share Jesus? You want to share the gospel? Care for people well. Care for people. Don't stiff arm them. Man, you got all this stuff, this baggage. I just can't touch that. Lean in. See, see what's, what's happening. I love the wording that Paul uses he says this, that we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our lives. Because, why? You have become very dear to us. Man, we have to love people well. Can't keep them at a distance and just have all this anger and resentment because they don't believe like us or they act this way or they do this. Man, you want to reach those people? Love them well. Who cares how they voted, what the color of their skin is, how they act, how they parent? Man, you want them to know Jesus? Invest into their story. Care for them. We see Jesus meets basic needs 
of people. Maybe it starts that way for you. But are you like the angry neighbor? Are you the angry coworker that's like everybody's walking around on eggshells? Or are you really that person that people can come to and they know you're going to pray for them and you mean it and you're going to help them in any way possible? Those are incredible bridges to pointing them to Jesus. Incredible, incredible ways just to show them and do that. I wrote this down this is in closing. To care for people far from God, we need to first bring them close to us. So often we treat people who don't know Jesus like they have some kind of disease. Man, shame on us for thinking that. Just because they might not act like us or believe like us, we need to be able to bring them close. Because you know what ends up happening? If we stay at a distance and they stay at a distance, we're just two lonely people at distances. And they might not be willing to share their story, and that's okay. But we have to be able to walk across the street and say, come here. I want to invite you over for dinner. Hey, why don't you come join us for dinner? Sit at our table. My, my husband's grilling some steak, whatever. Come on. Especially now with the holidays right around the corner starting this week, so many people are hurting. You and I have an opportunity. And maybe this week you want to look through your contacts and be like, man, I know this person doesn't know Jesus. And maybe you just want to invite them to coffee. So you can just catch up. and Maybe it will be a gospel conversation that you just stepping out of obedience or in, into obedience and, and being faithful in that, God could radically change this moment. Be that neighbor. And it all starts with, if you really think about it, it all is because Jesus invited you and me to the table, to the great banquet as sinners, as outcasts, separated from God. He said, hey, why don't you come join me for this meal? Let's do life together. I forgive you. Man, I'm extending that olive branch per se. And we can do that with people who don't know Jesus. Invite them to the table of your life. Invite them into your life in such a way they see the good, bad, and ugly. I mean, there's a risk to that. But they can see that you're real and what you say is, is how you live. And man, I pray that this place, that as we're doing that, we're cultivating that kind of hospitality and gospel culture and those conversations, you, you will be amazed and what God will do in the relationships that you have with people in your neighborhood and at your jobs. Man, let us be faithful in that. Let's pray together. Father, we are all guilty of not caring for people well. And we see that Jesus oftentimes met physical needs and just loved on people who had to have had baggage. I think about the Samaritan woman who really was scandalous in her life and everybody knew it. She was carrying all kind of shame. That's why she went to the well in the middle of the day. Jesus spoke to her. Zacchaeus, this tax collector that everybody despised, hated. He was a robber of his own people. Jesus said, let's go. I'm going to go to your house today. Let's have a meal. To the lepers who no one would touch because they were scared of getting that disease, Jesus reached out and touched and healed. Father, let us, with the power of your spirit, not the power of ourselves, we will always fail, but the power of your spirit, have great boldness to invite people to the table. For the person that's here this morning, has been distant from you, has felt that shame and that hurt, you're inviting them to the table right now. So Father, I pray that they would come, enter into a relationship with you this morning by talking to me 
whether it's now or later. For those of us who know people, you've put them on our hearts. Maybe there are one. Maybe you just have shown and revealed that right now, the people that we need to reach out to. God, let us begin to intentionally invest into their lives right now. And that's a phone call. Maybe that's an invite to coffee. Whatever that looks like, God, let us have gospel conversations for their life to be radically changed. Let us be faithful in that. And Father, that's all possible because you are God of grace and forgiveness. So thank you for inviting us to that table. In your son's name we pray, amen. Hey, let's stand and worship together. If you'd like prayer, the altar's open. If you want to talk, man, I'll be down here. We'd love to talk to you.